Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. Today in our conversation with Jay Calhoun, a Louisiana-based attorney with Keen Miller, we commiserate with taxpayers on some of the challenges businesses face when dealing with home rule jurisdictions. We also discuss how Jay's broad exposure to many tax organizations has influenced the issues she chooses as an attorney to dig into. Welcome to the Salt Ovation Podcast. Jay, thank you so much for being here today and doing this with us. We really appreciate your time. So it's nice to to see you. Yeah, Yeah, it's nice to see you guys virtually. Judy and I uh, hang out periodically around the country at different conferences (laughs) and events. She's she's always a a life of the party type (laughs) character. I was the king, if you recall. I did you were get what? the king. I was the king. I got the king, <gasps> king in the right. cake. Remember that? We had a, we had a Mardi Gras yep. party in New Orleans. Yes. Beauty was was the king of. I got to wear a robe and I carried a scepter. <laughs> I mean, it was gender appropriate. I was the king, and some dude was the queen. It was perfect. <laughs> They're very uh, progressive for tax people. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we do have fun in the state and local tax world. And yesterday, actually, I went up to D.C. and uh, something for American Bar Association tax section, which we're both involved in. Uh, we were talking to young people about getting involved in tax. And there were people talking about international tax and people talking about tax controversy, you know, and, and all kinds of different kind of cool things. And then we got up there and started telling them why state and local has all of that and more. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it's in English. You can read the language. That's the difference. Right. You can read all the languages. You don't have to worry about translating it from like Chinese or Spanish or French, German, <laughs> Swiss, Swiss. I mean, think of the right. language. You can't do international tax. You can't read the language. You can't read the law. Right. We can we- read the law. Right. But we get to figure out, this, especially those states that piggyback off of federal tax, we have, you know, we right. have to figure out the implications, not just in one jurisdiction, but in mm-hmm. jurisdictions around the country. So anyway, hopefully when it makes your home state and everything so much more transparent to you. Like I go to Steamboat, I have a condo up there and I'm like, what are the taxes? What are they doing? What's the development? How are they supporting this? They're taxing us somehow, some way. Hello. Yeah, learn something. I have a friend with a condo (laughs) in Steamboat. This is cool. (laughs) And so do you know that Montana, I went to Big Sky, Montana for uh, like skiing through the Icon Pass a couple of years ago. And they don't not have taxes in Montana, by the way. They have tourist taxes that are probably imposed right then and there. I'm like, I thought Montana didn't have sales tax. No, they do. It's just local taxes, which... I haven't even thought about because we've got some local taxes to think about, Jay, because you got it in your backyard and I have it. So anyway, yeah. Mary, you go. We're, we're starting. Mary wanted Hopefully to ask a question. This. We need to let our MC interrupt. Why? Ask Why? This isn't, this is indicative of who we are, what we are recruiting for the profession. The next I, so true that we're not so boring. Right. We're not well, just yes. green visors that, you know, our audits ugly stuff to all that. Right. That's not us. We can have fun. Yes. So then, all right. Well, then I guess I will kind of bring back. <laughs> so, young lady. <laughs> I mean, my boss is here. I need to do my job. I need this job. Thank God she does it. I, I couldn't do it. I can't hold it together. I mean, yeah, we're, we're supposed I to need her. That tax, though. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Go for it. Not always. Well, Jay, so Keen Miller is based in New Orleans, Louisiana. <clears throat> which has some unusual tax policy positions that make it difficult to think clearly about state and local tax. So two of those issues are kind of the home rules that we in Colorado, you know, can struggle with and the influence of case law. We'd like to get your insights on how these issues impacts taxpayers doing business in your home state of Louisiana. Sure. Okay. So actually Keen Miller is a regional firm. So it started in Baton Rouge, Um, We have a a nice New Orleans office, which is where I am at the moment. But um, so, uh, yeah, so Louisiana is a really uh, great place to practice state and local because it is confusing. You know, we have, so I guess in Colorado, y'all call them home home rule counties. We have Mm -hmm. parishes. Um, Our parishes uh, are not, a few of them have charters. 
Um, so I guess that's an equivalent of a home rule. They, they Ordinance or municipal a, code. Yeah. So you know how okay. like local taxes are essentially derivative of state tax typically. And if your constitution, as our state constitution does, you know, allows certain parishes to have their own uh, somewhat independent uh, jurisdiction, uh, we call, you know, we call them charters, like, uh, okay. sort of like home rule charters, maybe. Um, but anyway, our problem isn't really so much those charters. That's a separate problem. What that means is we will have parishes that, you know, we have state rules and they, some of them are intended to create some degree of uniformity. I mean, our version of uniformity is really different from a lot of other states' uh, version of uniformity. But, you know, what that means is a parish will say, we don't have to follow this state rule, which creates uniformity because we have our charter. And so that, that is a separate issue. The real issue that you face when you deal with Louisiana and the sales and use tax area is that the parishes each get to independently administer and collect their own taxes. So you don't, you don't really have one centralized collector. With remote sellers now, we have sort of a version of that. But, um, but even so, the parishes can still audit. They can still independently audit taxpayers. They can still independently uh, engage in collection activities. One sort of weird trend that we've had, I've watched grow in my practice, is that parishes will uh, hire contract auditing firms mm -hmm. out of other states mm -hmm. that will come in and audit for like 24 parishes at once. Mm -hmm. But it's not really as one centralized audit. Um, the problem is each parish is really doing its own audit, but through the contract auditor. So that means like your clients will get a different letter in the mail each day from a different parish saying you've been selected for audit and it will look a lot like the other letters because it's one contract auditing firm sending them out. When the contract auditor is done, they will then, you know, uh, create their work papers for each independent parish. So they go to the parish, the parish then issues an assessment. And then you have 24 fights on your hand as opposed to... Right. <laughs> So that that has been sort of problematic. Um, one of the one of the things that we found, and, and you know, this is just always just bothered the heck out of me. But you have we had one client that was audited by a contract auditor, and they were doing everything right. They were getting, you know, they were they were collecting and remitting everywhere they were supposed to collect and remit. And I guess this individual, this contract auditor, didn't want to leave the job without having found some liability. So they basically decided they'd remitted to all the wrong parishes, and they <gasps> everything. And so then they got hundreds of thousand dollars of disparate assessments in the mail from different parishes. Um, now we have a cross-crediting statute, which is supposed to allow the taxpayer to put the parishes on notice. Because they, they did the right thing. They collected and they remitted that two parishes are disagreeing about who is entitled to the tax. But there's no like way to enforce that. So, you know, you can you can you can trigger the cross-crediting statute, but there's no like one centralized place to get it all sorted out. Anyway, so let's talk about Louisiana version of uniformity. As all the other states did after Wayfair, you know, Louisiana's pretty excited. You know, they're raking in the money now with all these remote sellers uh, collecting and remitting. And they are, we understand that there's a problem with, you know, uh, in, the, in the Wayfair decision, the Supreme Court talked about undue burden. And if perhaps there are states that are poster children for undue burden, Colorado is probably one of them. Louisiana mm -hmm. is probably We're F, F according to cost, <laughs> F. <laughs> and we talk about, I get invited because of local taxes and problem states and stuff. And Louisiana was always the worst. Colorado, right. now everybody's like, Colorado's worse. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> I know, it's funny, right? I, we're, uh, we're struggling to stay at the bottom. <laughs> well, you're getting it. I'm proud of you. So, but anyway, but we, we're still kind of not quite there. So trying to come up with some, you know, uniformity to not create an undue burden on interstate commerce, we have a remote sellers commission. The remote sellers commission is set up strictly to take collections from vendors with no physical presence, and they're collecting state and local. Now, what's interesting is for a while, I think it was until July 1st, 2020, you could pay one rate. That's not the situation anymore. After July 1st, 2020, individuals are supposed to, I mean, businesses are supposed to collect based on the accurate parish rate and the accurate parish tax base. So there's still that aspect. We also have a separate commission set up for vendors with Nexus called the Uniform Local Sales Tax Board. So we have two independent bodies that are going to be issuing policy decisions 
and collecting and, and well, Uniform Local Sales Tax Board is not so much a collector because in a situation where the vendors actually have physical presence, they can go through parish e-file and, but it's still, you know, separate with each parish and it's still, you know, separate for the state and you still have all the issues, but you have a separate body now to make decisions for policy reasons and so anyway, so we've got these two separate things going on. And then we have the parishes who get to decide, you know, uh, well, they, this is how they think. How are they dealing with it? Well, they're definitely making more money, but they don't like having to give a little bit of what they would otherwise get to the state or to the remote sellers commission as a result of having, um, you know, so, so they don't want that haircut. The other thing they don't like quite as much is that, They've been warned. If you go back retroactively, <laughs> there, there might be a problem. And so if they can find nexus, they're still looking for nexus. If they can mm-hmm. find nexus, then they can go back retroactively. So you have some parishes that are more active than others in pursuing mm-hmm. remote sellers uh, in these situations. So uniformity. Last session, last legislative session, um, you know, there's still this concern about the fact that Louisiana's, you know, voted bad for business, rated bad for business, and they they understand. Some of the legislature is starting to understand that the reason, part of the reason is the fact that you have independent local administration, you don't have centralized collection. So the problem is the parish's ability to collect their own taxes is enshrined in our state constitution. So in order to centralize collection more, you have to have a constitutional amendment. Last session, we had a constitutional amendment, went to the voters. Voters basically said no. I remember that. Like about 48% voted for, 52% voted against. It's kind of close. It was really kind of an interesting constitutional amendment, though, because it was super complicated. Like it had all of the details, like who was going to sit on commissions and and all kinds of, it was really long. And so um, anyway, I don't think that's what the problem was. The problem was, I didn't hear a lot about it. I heard something about it, you know, the, the promotion were out there kind of advertising, do this, do this, vote for this. Um, But right before the election, I started getting all this junk mail from local collectors saying they're trying to take our authority away. And this is a a power grab by the state. So just, but there was a lot of it and it it was defeated. It was also um, a low, I guess, a low turnout election and they haven't quit. So our legislature is now back in session. They've put another little bit simpler uh, potential uh, constitutional amendment to be put on a ballot in November. They're trying it again. So I don't know if I mean, that has not become a law yet. They're still just kind of keep, right after that amendment was defeated by the uh, Halstead Bead case. Basically, I think it was an Arizona retailer filed a lawsuit in, in federal district court here saying it was really interesting. And I guess I think they were doing this to get around the Tax Injunction Act. But what they said was um, you can't sell in Louisiana above a certain threshold because your system's too complicated. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is they sued the state and they sued maybe four parishes. Um, you know, why those four parishes? I think I asked the guy and I don't really remember what his response. I didn't, I didn't really completely understand why those four parishes, but that's what they did. Um, you know, again, it, it's kind of your system <laughs> being state and locals really sort of as independent uh, participants. It's too complicated. So the federal judge that's hearing it, uh, magistrate judge, I believe, um, basically, um, or Judge Afric, yeah, had come out with some questions, basically issued a, um, they hasn't killed it yet. So it's still there. It's still proceeding. And they're trying to, but the judge wanted access to the remote seller's website. He says, you guys are saying, I hope I get the judge's name right. I might, might not actually have it right. But um, he said, you guys are saying this is too complicated for out-of-state vendors to use. I want to see it myself. So, um, so anyway, so I guess at this point, the judge is trying to get into the Remote Sellers Commission website and, and figure out how complicated it is. And again, that's for remote vendors only. And what's interesting is, I think even if you could, you know, you can get on and file. The problem is they can still audit. You can, they can still have as to what's taxable and what isn't. Right. So they don't even agree on what, like, that's our problem in Colorado. Like, software isn't taxable if it's e-delivered in Colorado, but it is at the home rules. 
Who cares yeah. about the home rules? Nobody even knows about the home rules. <laughs> it's right. on the East Coast. They don't. They know what Denver is. They know what Aspen is, but they don't know it's a home rule. Yeah, right. it's. Right. We have so many companies that just apply the state law locally as well onto their sales, and they don't bother with all these crazy. We have seven yeah. cities, and the problem is, if you get audited, it could be an expensive mistake. You know. Yes. Um, you can rock along for a little while thinking you're doing fine. Years pass, and if you're if you're filing at least. You're going to have a tax location. So, what is the rate differential, though? Is it like, I can't can't think of all the different city rates. I mean, for our city rates, you could be as high as 4% tax rate. So, I mean, it's almost double the state rate. So, well, Denver's like 4.83, some, yeah, like dot, 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 you know, dot, zero, 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 zero. We we have up to 5%. We did. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you're seeing rates pushing 10, 11% in some of our home rural cities all in, in Colorado. It's a lot. So then, so then Jay, right now, what are remote sellers supposed to do? Like what, what, because I feel like, you know, the state, when you get a registration, it kind of kicks you into this like remote seller bucket, but then what does that mean? Like, it's no well, longer, you're saying there's no longer that group 9% rate anymore, right? Like right. what Alabama and Texas can do. Right. Have. So, so, you know, I, I don't, um, I'm not a accountant. I'm an attorney. So, but I, so don't worry, I said, we, put discla- we put disclaimers no, on it, this. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> this is not legal advice. Because I was going to see how far I could get into the system. To we did the same thing with myself. Questions yes. about that. And I, I really didn't get very far because I don't have a return to file. Yeah. All that. Um, so uh, I need to ask my accountant friends, like how, how complicated it is to, to really figure it out. Anecdotally, I have heard, you know, it, it's still in you know, a varying degrees of complication. The the parishes, I believe, are supposed to be providing the information on the remote well sellers site so that people can get the rates right. Uh-huh. Um, you know, whether or not they're doing tax base right or or allowing exemptions appropriately, co- completely different issue. But the rate information, I understood the parishes themselves to be providing, and you can have different rates within a, within a parish. So, right. You know, so hopefully, hopefully it's good. But you know, the tax base could be different. The right. rates are obviously different. Now, some of that can be managed with software, but then the compliance, like our SEP system, this is what's so crazy because we have statutory and home rule in Colorado. So the statutory, there's still cities and counties are just state collected. So all that money goes in anyway. And that's change in Wayfair. It used to be what we call location and common. If you were in Denver, you collected just the state in Colorado, whatever jurisdiction Denver was in, you didn't collect anything else. No other counties, no other cities. Now I have to collect all that rate, basically front door rate, right? And then you have to put it on the reform. Well, you have to actually check a box in the Colorado Revenue Online and open up the jurisdictions because it isn't naturally set up that way. And right. so you have to piecemeal it if you don't want to do all. How are you supposed <laughs> to do that, right? Oh, I'm only going to do these seven and only not the two. Like you were saying, oh. they're two, 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 four. Yeah. Parishes are 64. Remember what that decision? We yeah. have definitely had, you know, clients issues where like, you know, the software just got it wrong. The software. Oh, yeah. The software has to keep up with, you know, what's going on. Right. And then recently, and I can't remember exactly what the issue is, but somebody called me and they were like, you know, we have this question we can't answer. And they said, big name software company won't touch it. They said, we're just not touching this. Can so can, you know, like what? So anyway, they, they needed to kind of get an answer to their question. So it, it is a little strange it is a little disturbing that you know we know from practice because what we see the problems it is mm-hmm. is really not possible to be completely correct. no it's correct well amazon in colorado refuses last i heard to actually collect the home rural city taxes really? they have refused to collect it now they have that some warehouses in <laughs> Thornton, i think denver <laughs> thornton aurora i think they have warehouse facilities yeah. So they'll collect in there because there's situs there, but they refuse right. to collect in every city because they're trying to use that ammunition to get right. conformity at the, we have this thing called the Colorado Municipal League that sort of is the legal arm of the cities if they so choose it and they'll help advocate and all that good stuff. So they kind of sit there and provide advice and counsel and help kind of create uniformity, which there isn't always because they get to choose what they want. But yeah, we just have, it's just really not right in my opinion. And I think a lot of yeah. legislators don't understand what it really takes to do the compliance. Like they're not doing it, you know, so they that, don't know. 
What about like marketplace providers now? So you do have this overlay of, you know, potentially somebody else is going to be collecting and, yep. you know, and, and who, who amongst the possible, you know, parties that they can audit are going to get audited. And what, I mean, so that I think the marketplace provider legislation, which came so closely on the heels of way that was so strange, exponentially complicated. Well, it's understandable uh-huh. because if you think about it, like every state, every locality now has nationwide and even international jurisdiction, but, you know, when you buy, like, stuff on, for example, Amazon, like, I'm, I bought two alarm clocks. They looked identical <laughs> at, on two different days for my kids. One of them came, and it was, you know, it was fine. It worked fine. The other one came in this box, and, the instru- and it looked on the outside like the first one I bought, but the instructions were in broken English, and it didn't work. And it was, I was like, this is a knockoff made in another country. So the problem is, you know, your locality, your state, you have, you have international jurisdiction, you're never going to get those folks in the foreign mm-hmm. countries that have the issue. So I think the marketplace provider legislation was essentially a way to kind of, uh, you know, make sure they've got some deep pocket close by and they can yep. go after. If they're well, I'm sure it was to punish Amazon. I mean, come on. <laughs> but then there's... Everybody hate Amazon. It <laughs> made your life easier. I hate to say that. But I know. Well, it, well I think about... <laughs> I, they were... One of my partners actually went to work for them years ago. So when it was all bricks and clicks... And they kept, they didn't have nexus for like 13 years intentionally, you know, so they didn't collect sales tax for, so I think a lot of people are like, wait a minute, change the economy and you haven't paid your due. Well, they're not paying their tax. That's what drives me crazy. It's not their tax, right? It's our tax. They weren't collecting from us and we weren't paying it. No, we weren't. How come Amazon hasn't paid its tax? Amazon hasn't collected our tax from us. Yes. Yes. Really? Yeah, it's kind of unfair to them, isn't it? I mean, but the, the, but people that put the onus on vendors. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, nobody. But at least, I mean, Amazon is using a little of their might to create some parity in Colorado, which I hope that political influence will be helpful. And we have had this such system, and it's not 100% used yet. We're at 61 cities, I think, of the 70s. So we're, where everyone's in, they just, you know, technologically, how do you feed in the back end, the front end? And then we just passed a bill, which I believe our governor should be signing any minute, that basically took away the licenses. So there was a license requirement. 10, 20, I mean, you could pay as much as $175 for some of our city licenses per year just for the privilege of collecting their tax. Do you guys have that something similar at the parish level? So we don't necessarily charge people to collect the tax, but we charge them for lots of other stuff. Well, for the license though. Okay. Yeah, no, we have occupational licenses. Okay. License and occupational license tax. Yep. um, You know, we collect that. So is that... Well, but that's a little different though. I don't see it as a... A charge for collecting the tax. It's a charge yep. for existing. Yeah, because we charge the privilege of, of, you know, selling to folks in the state, right? Right. So, I mean, they did a study and I think the tax was, I mean, it could be anywhere from 1500 a year up to like maybe even 20000 if you took 175 for a license to collect city sales tax per year, multiply that by 70. I mean, you're at 20,000 bucks. I mean, so it's like real money every year to remit $5 to a city. I mean, that's how little some of the stacks can be. Cause I mean, we have a city called Decono. I think it has 10,000 people in it. It's tiny. I don't even know how they, or why they're a home rule. I don't know enough about them, but right. to know that, cause I don't have a lot of clients in that space, but it's like, why does Decono <laughs> a home rule? <laughs> Yeah. I'm always Googling population. Like, how big is this city? Why are they I so I think big? Meredith has a question. Well, Jay, I wanted, to, I wanted to circle back to something. So the kind of constitutional amendment is going back on the ballot this year because it didn't pass last year, is the kind of professional community, the practitioner community on board for this? And then yeah. would yeah. you say, but then I also want to know like, if they are, and like this is something that, like, hey, from a tax perspective, this is really good for the state. Do they need to get better marketing for, like, you know, the general voter to understand what any of that stuff means? Because the general person doesn't understand what any of this means, right? Like, I was trying to tell my husband yesterday, my husband's an educator, very smart man, trying to tell him what I did yesterday. He's like, I know what those words mean, but like, <laughs> I, you had a great day. You did a lot of things. But like, I, I don't know what any of that means. Yeah. Like, right, right. Yeah. So, um, so I, so there are certain folks or certain, uh, I guess 
maybe even a trade association or two that that did kind of go to bat for centralized collection. centralized collection is a good idea i think it was uh you know i can't say that the whole like tax community got behind it and i think part of the problem is reading the uh, the amendment it is very very specific and it creates it seems to almost create some new entrenched interests and it's kind of a weird thing but um i think the concern was if they didn't get it all in the constitution then folks are going to mess with it in the leg- the legislature future legislators who are going to mess with it so in any event i haven't really seen a lot of passion about that this is what i hope people do get passionate about we have a bill now advancing through our state legislature dealing with how about this payment of interest on payments you made under protest if you lose so in other words you pay under protest because you don't want interest to continue to accrue what if you had to pay interest on those payments anyway if you lose how crazy is that they got your money they're making interest on it and if you lose your case you still have to kick an interest why would you pay under protest is that anyway so that sort of thing right now (laughs) Is, is being pushed by the locals and is it advancing through our state legislature? That kind of thing, I hope people kind of get up in arms about because, again, it's going to kill the payment under protest procedure. It makes no sense. When I'm saying, well, why are they doing this other than like a money grab? Because this is, so we can only, the legislature can only raise taxes every other year. This is not a money raising session. And maybe they consider this procedural to raise money for the locals, but so... <laughs> So anyway, I'm hoping, you know, that gets, didn't get anywhere because that just makes no sense to me. Wow. Yeah. Well, we had that where we aren't paying interest on refunds. I mean, they were trying to do the same thing in Colorado. Right. Not They don't want to pay. Makes sense. I mean, that doesn't make sense, but I mean, it is something you can understand, but at least you're not paying twice, which is kind of what you're doing. I guess if you, maybe you're not paying twice, but what happens is you're not going to be able to pay under protest or it's not going to make any difference if you do or if you don't. It's not going to give you any advantage. Right. And they are getting paid twice because, you know, if you pay in a protest, they got your money. Yep. They're earning interest on it. Yeah. Plus, you then have to pay interest on it. I mean, what kind of interest rate at the end of the day is going to be received by the parish on your money, right? Ours is 10, 12%. I mean, it's crazy. Our, our home it's high. They're, the typical interest rate on monthly interest is 1%. One of them is even 1.5%. Yeah. And it's higher for for uh, underpayments and lower for overpayments. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, it can where really are you earn twelve percent interest. Yeah. I think you know, we have clients like owe money and we'll do a VDA and they've got to cough up the cash, right? And they're like, can we get a payment plan? I'm like, go get a bank loan. It's a better deal. Like you can borrow money from a bank a lot cheaper than borrowing it from our city. So I've definitely heard parishes say, um, we don't want people gaming the system and essentially you know, paying and then we have to pay them back with interest later. But you're not investing with the tax collector. I mean- I- I don't know. Maybe there was like one situation one time where that happened, but I can't even imagine a client coming to me saying, you know, I looked at, you know, options in the market and I think I'm going to go invest with the tax collector, right? Right. No, we had issues with that in Colorado where they thought people were overpaying their estimated payments, didn't owe it and getting interest back. There was. Was that really happening? There was a legislative belief. I'm too naive. Oh, a legislative belief as opposed to people. And people are like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Well, even like, so the for example, like the Denver Volunteer Disclosure Program for sales tax, it's three like 36 months. For use tax on your purchases, it's seven years. And so I don't know offhand what seven times 12 is, but if you're doing a use tax VDA, you're paying like 98% interest on your first initial period. Is that it's literally one percent constitutional if you're I mean, I don't know. Is that usury? But I don't know if it's not. No, no, no. I'm talking about discrimination. I mean, like the associated. Oh, because the the periods are different? No, because if use tax, you end up paying more. uh, No, it's just a longer lick back. The interest is the interest, I I wonder if you couldn't make a constitutional argument, though. I don't know. That like the sales tax and use tax look back needs to be the same? Yeah. Well, it needs to be short, like. Like, uh, well, and they changed it over the years. Is it It more expensive to do business in interstate commerce? Use tax primarily falls on interstate commerce, right? You think? Huh. I don't know. I don't make many constitutional (laughs) arguments. So, 
Oh, they're cool though. They're fun. Well, no, what Denver would do though is they would then make the sales tax look back seven years. Yeah, and not well, 36 years. They would they well, would pull like a Hawaii and you go. They win years. the battle and lose the war. I'm just saying. It's still, it's still a well, still I mean, over the, the years. Case, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Denver has changed their periods over the years. I mean, it's never been consistent because you know, BDAs are administrative, they're not regulatory, they're not legislative. So you they don't they do what they want. So they just, they change the policy here and there and everywhere. Good it's been be very king. interesting. <laughs> it's good to be king. Yeah, they are king. <laughs> yes, Denver especially is king. I mean, we have some pretty big cities and they have a lot of might. And they're, yeah. And we've had a lot of change in uh, leadership too, which has been hard because you have a lot of legacy people that work there like 30 years and they just knew things like the back of their hand. And then we have the newer groups that are still not, don't have that institutional knowledge. And we've had a lot of change in our city too over the years. So, yeah. yeah. Well, just like the, our home, you know, our home rules have a hard time just keeping up with kind of like urban sprawl and, you know, our, are further out kind of suburbs. If you, I, I grew up around Chicago, so like everything is a suburb. I don't know, like Colorado <laughs> calls them suburbs. But anyway, you know, that are more accessible, you know, like Loveland has grown and like Louisville, you know, that their staff of one can't keep up. And right. so they're like trying to hire, but even the staff of one has only been there three years and they're their most senior person and knows the most. And right. so it's and just then they pilfer from each other too. So there's really good talent. The city's just juggling around. So then you're still down a resource everywhere. It's really well, this is kind of what actually. I like about tax practice is you're yeah. really always working collaboratively. So yeah. especially if you've got somebody who's relatively new and they're just kind of learning the ropes, you know, you're you're going in there and you know you're talking you're discussing the fact that you know they don't want to collect tax that isn't owed in their heart of yeah. hearts. They don't. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and basically discussing the law and, and you know, trying to help uh, educate really even sometimes when you're working with a collector, you're trying to educate. Um, they're trying to educate you. You're trying to educate them. But, you know, but I like the collaborative aspect of tax practice for that reason. Well, and I think that's also something like kind of an environment that is shifting. You know, Colorado has like a coalition of state tax auditors that is open. So every quarter they get together, they do continuous education and they open it up to practitioners. So we as tax ops are actively engaged in this Colorado Tax Auditor Coalition. Mm -hmm. You know, and Judy and I are going to be presenting at the next one of like, hey, common taxpayer hurdles. Because really, like, they don't want to be the bad guy. They want people to teach big, you know, teach people to do the right thing. But at the same time, they're there to connect, connect, collect money for their cities. But it is a lot of like, open sharing information resources like hey how best do you handle this have you mm -hmm. seen this so there is you know a lot of collaboration and you know kind of inviting in the practitioners which is really nice to see yeah there are relationships we've built over the years but you know one thing we've asked for many times is can we just have a list of what you do and don't tax we don't have to look at every single ordinance <laughs> you know how do you apply this because that's the hardest thing is Taxpayers, you know, your clients don't want to pay you to look at 70 laws. Do they you have know, a Five dollars. No, oh, they, they want have ordinances. <laughs> I know. But is there a manual though? Because um, sometimes, and they're not always really comfortable sharing, but sometimes the manuals they use. Um, they well, they the have manuals. Some of the cities do. Yeah. Some do, but they don't have like a list of like, I remember we did an audit in the city of Louisville and she, one of the auditors was showing us how she had this chart of how they handled it. was a construction use tax audit, right? So mobile equipment, all the items going into the building and right. what was brought in, what was brought out, all that good stuff. And then what was paid under permit because they, they take tax on the materials up front on the permitting process. We have, that is not the same across our cities, but they were referencing a chart from a survey that they did internally with other cities. Well, Broomfield does this. And so, and I'm like, okay, but what does your law say? Right. And then if you have this survey, share it with the public. So we know what to expect. That's the thing I find the most difficult. I mean, we, years ago, I remember Aurora saying, we don't really publish a lot of guidance because we don't want to be beholden to it. We don't want to be trapped by it because, you know, we don't know. It's going to depend on the facts. Right. And so it's like, well, but that helps taxpayers. If you can't yeah. figure out what to do, how do you apply? And they're better selves. They're better tax collector selves. They do. They should want to educate the public. Right. 
And, you know, I guess the theory is the more people know, the more they, you know, they don't want expensive right. problems. Even crazy about paying taxes, but you don't want expensive problems later. And mm-hmm. especially like on a, a sales or use tax situation where it can be become your expensive problem, mm-hmm. you know, collected up front. I mean, a lot of like my clients, they just, they just want to know what the right answer is. Just right. They'll do it. And so, right. So I think the federal government does a really good job of sort of educating the public as to what the rules are. I mean, they do the enforcement, they do the collection, but they understand their mission to educate as well in the front right. end. Now, as Meredith was saying, as you were saying, you know, a lot of these departments don't have a lot of money, they don't have a lot of people, they don't have, they got one person, you know, so how they're supposed to do everything. And that's kind of hard, but maybe that is where your tax bar or your um, professional organizations can, can help as well. I know like ABA IPT, um, I hope we did it this year, but for the past couple of years, we you know, certainly invited the, the local tax department to come give them scholarships and that kind of thing. You know, just they can sit and they can contribute. They can listen. You know, we can have that sort of collaborative process of figuring out. But they were kind of the one advocating. Like I've sat on this governor's task force for many years. I dedicated a lot of time, energy for no money, honestly, just because I thought it was the right thing to do for the community. Nice. And we would try to get community joiners, right? And people moan and groan, but then they don't step up. They don't put money towards it and they don't, because some of it is lobbying because that's how it gets done. And they don't get the time or effort and the testimony. That's what really needs the testimony. Everybody complains to us, but they don't take complaint to these legislators that are trying to problem solve. So it's, it's just fascinating to me. Like you complain, but you don't take initiative because you can only do so much. You know, yeah. and so people just adjust to it, but it does, it just feels like the, the momentum has happened finally, but it's taken that effort, that grassroots effort to show like this has got to get better. And so do you think that's partly why you guys have been working towards that constitutional amendment? Like there's more money, there's we need more transparency, there's more people registering. Why would we go for this now? Well, I, I think there is a sense of the impact on the state business-wise, you know, our reputation for having a complicated tax system. Plus the other thing is also a sense that, you know, maybe not all the locals are on board about it, but would our, these, all these new collections be jeopardized if in fact Louisiana's system somehow was determined to be unconstitutionally creating an undue burden on interstate Mm -hmm. commerce. Like, I don't know what the case would look like. Maybe it's Halstead B that establishes that, but, um, you know, they understand there's a little bit of vulnerability there. Um, you know, maybe there's a sense of if we make it better and more uniform, we'll collect more money. I don't right. Know. I would think you would. I mean, I think Arizona's been proof of that. I've heard that they're just raking in millions now that they went central. So I can't imagine we wouldn't have learned from that. And then if you have money, then you can do some studies and some information and grab different bits of, I don't know. I mean, you got to have the resources. problems with attracting business besides our tax system as well. <laughs> Although we have great food and we have a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we, we got other stuff we got to get figured out as well. <laughs> And so kind of as we as we near the end, kind of want to plug your kind of leadership positions that you've held in various organizations, you know, what the Louisiana Tax Institute, American College of Tax Council, ABA IPT, which has come up. ABA. I'm just a girl who can't, can't say it. no. I know, right? <laughs> that song from Oklahoma. Actually, you know what's funny is, um, so yes, I did tell you, just told you this. Yeah, so I was up and talking to young people about going into tax, and we were giving them life and career advice. You get old enough and you get really excited because people say, you know, what do you, what do, you do to, you know, how'd you get where you are or whatever. Um, but the thing is, um, at the beginning, especially when I was young, um, and, I, and I didn't know, you know, a whole bunch, but I wanted to learn. You know, I would volunteer to do stuff like create materials or even speak or whatever. In state and local, it's really important, I think, to be involved in these organizations that have members from around the country because, you know, we got, we have, you know, it's not like the the beautiful federal tax code, which applies everywhere in the U.S. You know, we have clients that, you know, whose operations uh, cross state borders you know, if I have a Colorado question, I need to call Judy. If uh, Judy has a, a, a client with a need in Louisiana, hopefully she's going to call me. Yep. And so it's it's good for, you know, developing business. It's good for making sure you're, you're serving your client's needs. And also it's kind of good to watch, you know, just to know what's going on around the country mm-hmm. because, um, you know, that 
if, if it works in a particular state, all the states are going to jump on board, you know, mm-hmm. especially if it's sort of groundbreaking or, you know, like Wayfair, as soon as Wayfair came out, that was a right? case. I mean, South Dakota. Like, yeah. Hey, we can do this now too. And so they had to pass legislation. What we're watching right now, which is kind of interesting, it's happening up in the East coast mainly and, and also in Utah, some of these other uh, states up there, but basically there's a sort of a, a movement to get rid of the unitary business principle when it comes to uh, taxation of gain on the sale of, a, of an interest in a, in a business. Uh-huh. And so that, um, you know, we've had the unitary business principle for a while. You've been pretty safe selling your, you could set in Louisiana, you could set in Colorado and sell your interest in a, and an entity that may have operations in other states, but your ta- your capital gain is getting taxed by the state where you sit. That is actually uh, something right now that states are trying to work around. Um, there, there are these theories of investee apportionment, so they call it. Even though yeah. I heard Bruce Schwartz say the other day, it's not really apportionment, it's like allocation. You know, we're mm-hmm. allocating all the capital gain to the state where the business really had the most of its operations. You know, what is that, right? So that's yeah. kind of a, a thing to watch, and if it works on the East Coast, like it had, it, like Utah got some great decisions where the judge said no, this is unconstitutional. It's progressing through the Massachusetts courts. There's another case in New York. If it works, that, that's coming to a coming to a place near you. So there's like uh, there's a really there's a really um, there's a lot of really good reasons to be involved in these organizations. Right. You know, not the least of which you make friends from around the country who have condos and steamboat, or you know, friends that'll take you around for Mardi Gras, um, Sandy King cakes at <laughs> Mardi Gras time. Yes. So, um, yeah. So so good business and professional reasons to. to well, I think about. So were you at the luncheon at the ABIPT in New Orleans that was about pre-Wayfair? I mean, it was both sides. I think it was Alabama. He was um, representing South Dakota as a, what, a Me Too, right? He spoke. And then the lawyer who represented, I think it was New Egg, because it was New Egg Overstock and Wayfair that all took that case to Supreme Court independently. And that lawyer would talk about stare decisis, like let things stay as they were. We don't need to upset the apple cart. And I'm sitting in that meeting and then the Alabama's like, yeah, da, da, da. And of course he went to work for Deloitte. I think he was like the executive director of Alabama. And now he works You're thinking of, oh my Ah, right? Yeah, I know. Know him. Yes, I know. Uh, I'm like, I can so, see his face. It'll yeah. come to us. But I I'm remember looking at my contacts. I'm, I'm to like, all their arguments about the pros Joe. and the cons. And Joe. Like Joe. Yeah, they would, um, <laughs> that, that it wouldn't get decided to change the world, right? And it did. And I listened to the art lawyer who was talking about stare decisis or stare decisis or however you say it, let things leave as they are. I'm like, there's no way. The economy has changed too much. There's too much money leaving the doors of the states. You've got Joe to have Garrett. Joe Garrett. Joe Garrett. And, you know, he yeah, had a the- very good argument for Alabama yeah. and the reason that Wayfair should get enacted. And then he talked about how Alabama did their flat rate and all that good stuff to make it easier right. for compliance and giving the money back to the taxpayers for collecting the money. And But I just thought, that's no way. And then here it came through and it happened. I mean, yeah. I was in New- I was in. Ireland on vacation when that case got decided. And one of my clients wished me like Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, right? Like you just blew up because this case got decided. But who would have thought within a year, every state would have a law, every state that has a sales tax. You don't see that kind of movement legislatively in this nation, that much uniformity. I know. <laughs> kind of, I mean, crazy. Even Florida. Not uniformity, you know? though. It's not that much. No, I know. I know. All the laws are there. No. no, it's not even close to uniform. Of course, now what I get with clients is like, I've exceeded economic threshold. I'm like, so what do you do? I go, I do this insulation thing. I go, you already had physical presence nexus. You already had a duty to collect the tax before Wayfair. No, like, that's oh. Okay. That's something that we see a lot. And it's like, well, I'm not, I haven't sold this much. And I was like, okay, but but how do you but sell? physical presence still exists? Yeah. As a, I mean, know, I'm glad people know when they didn't used to know, but I was already feeling pre wayfair. Like physical presence was eroded so much, even before we've had like wholesale remote workers, right? Everybody's agnostic about hiring now. Like, I want a person, I'm gonna hire them wherever. Like, you don't realize you just created all kinds of duties in those states. Because you were agnostic about hiring. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's sort of surreal to think about. Brave new world. Yeah. Almost four years too. Yeah. And so Jay, you had mentioned kind of as a final thought, you know, 
kind of this, the unitary kind of concept on the sale of partnership interest, maybe kind of being the next big thing, kind of thing to watch out for. Is there any other thing that you think is going to be kind of something that's either going to be heavily litigated or that's going to kind of be next on the kind of chopping block to take down? Yeah, so um, take up. (laughs) Take up. Well, it would be good for folks. Increase our fees for. (laughs) (laughs) And New Jersey. So it would be good to watch what the NTC is doing. They have a number of projects going on. They're considering partnership issues. They're considering um, uh, public lady 6272 and they feel like Wayfair kind of changed. Sort of got rid of public lady six two seven. Yes. Think, yeah. Well, California so, just adopted, so California's already glomming on. They've adopted some of the MTC rules, so modernizations, quotish. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't know. I, I guess, and I, Justice Ginsburg said this about was it who said this? I don't remember. But basically, so everybody has said this. Things are cyclical. So right yeah. now we're in this kind of expansion of state tax jurisdiction, it would seem there has to be some limitations. There has to be some protection for business visit. It's just, it's almost like, and, and this is how I gauge it. So I also teach a couple of law school classes. I teach a joint class for the two law schools here. And my students, you know, where are they? I take their temperature with how comfortable they are with different things. And, you know, over time, they very much, um, like, you know, we've been talking about like remote worker issues and, you know, whether because people used to work in a jurisdiction and were paying taxes, but now they're not even coming back, but the jurisdiction right. still needs the money. So they st- should still be able to tax them. <laughs> I don't have right. as much of an issue with that, which surprises me. They're also okay with virtual presence, which I think is such an odd thing because in theory, your government, you know, the reason you pay taxes, collect taxes for government is they're doing something for you. Yeah. Um, but economic nexus is all about, you know, simply providing a marketplace being enough to, you know, have these foreign governments make demands on you. Uh, Right now, the temperature is, you know, to sort of floating tax liability is okay. Somebody has to tax it, right? Yeah. Kind of not okay. Right. Right. (laughs) So I'm hoping that the pendulum swings back, uh, not just in, you know, my students being taking their temperature, but but basically in legislatures, perhaps in Congress to engage in some effort towards uniformity. Uh, it it does seem like almost an impossible uphill battle, though, because obviously these states, you know, they become dependent on the revenues. Now that, mm-hmm. you know, Wayfair, the physical presence requirement is gone, they're collecting all this money. They're going to fight to keep that, right? Yeah. They were, they were interested in uniformity when they thought it was necessary to get Congress to get rid of physical presence. Physical presence is gone. Where's the interest in uniformity? I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, Louisiana may sort of be an outlier in, in thinking about it, you know, potentially other states may be thinking about it, but but there's not a lot of, I mean, you can never hurt all the cats. You can never get no. all the ducks in a row. Congress could do that. Congress. Yeah. You need the oversight. Well, like Wayfair, right? It took a right. Supreme Court decision right. but, to get rolled out, you know, thresholds across the nation. But our constitution, our commerce clause, some extent due process, you know, but really the commerce clause all of that was to protect a national marketplace and to prevent economic balkanization. That was the term the Supreme Court. Not where I read that, but I love it. But the, but the problem is we are in an era of economic balkanization and we are moving deeper into it. And so, you know, will will our leadership step in and, and provide some protection? Are we just going to keep, you know, is, is it really going to create, continue to create problems for businesses, expensive problems, expensive yep. compliance issues, and no real hope of being completely compliant? Right. I mean, we have and then, and then we, we retire rich, right? But that's right. not really... Sort of not really what we want. Well, I would <laughs> we like want, not. We want to be I able like to see what the yeah. rules are and help people. Yes. I, sometimes I feel like I can't apply the rules. Like I just can't. It's cost prohibitive. We have a client that has sales tax licenses everywhere because they sell and they filed income tax returns for various reasons and they owe $5 or $65. It's expensive to file an income tax yeah. return and you already gave them your sales tax money, but now you got to pay someone to create that return, split it across the nation and to give a little bit of a tax. Like some of that doesn't entirely make sense. Let's make right. it economically viable. Right. So you're well, I a definitely amount of money. clients that they just do a, a cost benefit risk analysis based right. on how comfortable they are with risk. <laughs> they figure out where their exposure is and then they try to 
get the big ones, you know. Right. Well, Vermont wants to come after you for a thousand dollars, let them come. Right. I'll give well, you the thousand. To be fully compliant, you know, let's say the average preparer, you know, anywhere between five hundred dollars and three thousand dollars, one of our clients charged them for a tax return for a single entity. You've got 46 sales tax licenses, you know, cut that down to maybe 43 that of those don't have an income to corporate income tax, call it like you're paying over a hundred thousand dollars just to file a return in all yeah. of those matching states. Right. So right. right. And the and the Amazons of the world don't care. They've got all the money. Uh, but the small and medium-sized businesses that are growing are gonna have. Right. Why well, have a huge issue with FBA Amazon because a lot of small sellers use them and they don't realize that having inventory estate is an income tax duty. So like, oh, Amazon's a marketplace. They're collecting my sales tax. Yay. But you don't realize that inventory sitting in that warehouse is next is creating issue for your income tax purposes. Unless they right? put in, you know, because not I I still, you know, what California sort of ish was, you know, one of the first, like the bit first big state. To I think Tennessee like had it too. Well, the factor presence though, of, you know, your 50,000 property sales, but you know, an FBA, if a, in theory, if a state had, you know, if a, a small seller had $2,000 of inventory in an FBA warehouse, if that state had, you know, that factor presence and that was it and didn't exceed the upper threshold of the sales, you know, you could potentially avoid that filing. Right. That's but, the part we deal with, Jay. So we actually do the <laughs> forms. And so we go, ah, you know, and it's expensive and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Which yeah. makes our, us sad because we want to give value to our clients and we want them to, you know, so we hope that in the end it all works out in the wash, but there yeah. is just a lot of compliance from all of us. So, yeah. well, Jay, thank you so much for spending your it's, you know, afternoon with us yeah. for you. <laughs> Morning. Almost lunchtime. Lunchtime now here, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, thank you again. And sounds like you and Judy will be doing an IPT thing in June. So <laughs> yes. Yes. every all of it's our in, listeners, make sure you join. Uh, I'll be at the ABA. I, I'll be at ABA too in May. So I did sign awesome. up to go to that. Okay. Yeah, are you going? I don't. Yeah. Are we, yes. Do we all yes. need a phrase now? <laughs> Definitely going. I haven't made my hotel reservation, but I bought my flight. I paid for that to go. Okay, well, make your hotel reservations. Right. We'll see you there. All right, my friends, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was my first podcast ever. So, really? Well, you killed it. That was awesome. That was so interesting, even some of the history of Jay that I wasn't aware of. So, this will be, I'm excited to even co present with you because I'm sure I'll learn a thing or two. So, Oh, we'll have fun. We will have fun. So. Always. And as always, this was another fun episode of Saltivation. Till the next time. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.